Today's episode is being sponsored by Swiss Hospitality Guild. SHG is a training center created to meet the strong demand for specialized hospitality staff. This training concept was born from the experience and expertise of its founder, Egidio Marcato. Egidio has become a reference in the world of hospitality coaching and has had success stories in skills championships, including Swiss skills, Euro skills, and world skills, as well as the AICR World's Best Receptionist Competition. Contact SHG at www.swisshospitalityguild.com. Good afternoon. Welcome to 50 Shades of Hospitality. This is Crystal Cabin, your host. Today, we would like to welcome Stowe Shoemaker as our guest. Stowe is the Dean of the Harrah College of Hospitality at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Good afternoon, Stowe, and welcome. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, well, thank you, Crystal. I'm very excited to be here on this, this podcast. I think it's a great thing that you're doing to interview hospitality executives from around the world. So we don't just have an American view or a European view, but we have a world view. So congratulations on that. Yes, so um, I've been the Dean at the William F. Harris College of Hospitality for 10 years. Um, prior to that, I was always, was really an industry person. Um, finished, didn't do my PhD till I was about 42. Um, and I finished that at Cornell University. And Basically, I've been a hospitality operations guy my whole career, did a lot of consulting in the restaurant business, um, also done consulting on hospitality loyalty, loyalty programs. I worked with that core on their loyalty program and Hilton wrote a case study that we pub- published at Harvard on Hilton Honors and also did all the pricing strategy for British Airways. So I've really had a, a variety of career, but really focused on academics, publication, you know, the reason I left consulting was in consulting, you learn cool stuff, but you can't tell anybody. I always like to learn cool stuff and tell everybody. So I became an academic so I could publish. But love hospitality, love the industry. Often say that at UNLV, we're not so much in the hospitality business, education business as we are in the life-changing business through hospitality education. Because we believe that it doesn't matter what your mom or dad did, if we give you an incredible education on hospitality operations, you can work anywhere in the world and we can change your life. Yeah, great, fantastic. Can you describe the Hera College of Hospitality at the, um, at the UNLV and give us a little history of this school? Yes, yeah, so we're about 55 years old. We were founded actually by a gentleman named Jerry Ballin, who had come from Cornell and really was a gift from the Nevada Hotel and Restaurant Lodging Association because they realized that as Las Vegas was going to grow, they needed to provide some talent. Um, and so we used to be called the William F. Hare College of Hotel you know, Administration and Management, but we really changed our name probably about six years ago to the College of Hospitality because we wanted to make sure that hospitality, it includes everything, not just hotels. We have about 1,600 undergraduates, probably about 60 master's students, and about 20 PhD students. And our students come from all over the world. Um, Pre-COVID, about 20% of our students 
actually 23% of our students were international, mostly from um, China and Korea. And what's great if you travel anywhere in the world and you have a UNLV shirt on, you'll probably run into one of your one of the people in the hotel who went to UNLV. Okay, great. How does the Hera College of Hospitality differ from other U.S. hospitality schools? So there's been a really a real trend in hospitality education, not only in the U.S. but around the world, to become a business school with hospitality examples. Um, Cornell you know, where I did my PhD, I taught there for 25 years in the, their executive education program. And I saw them over time becoming more and more of a business school. And now they're absorbed under the Johnson School of Business. Michigan State, University of Denver, they're all really part of Oklahoma State. They're all part of, they're just almost a department in the College of Business. We made a really strategic decision when I became dean was that we were not going to become a business school with hospitality examples. We were going to become a hospitality program that took from business, psychology, engineering, fine arts, to give the students almost like a liberal arts education around hospitality. And the other thing we did, which was really exciting, our faculty really bought into this, was it typically takes 80 credits to get a hospitality degree in pretty much any institution. And then you have your remaining credits that are your sort of general ed classes for the university. And pretty much every hospitality school, and UNLV was like this, probably 70 of the credits were required. So everybody took everything lockstep. Well, what we did as a faculty or what the faculty did was they said, that's crazy because as the industry changes, we have to have a curriculum that's flexible and can change. So what they did is they took that 80 credits, roughly 80, and they only reduced the required core to be 50 credits. And then we have 30 credits of electives. And a concentration is 15 credits. So you could have a concentration in gaming, food and beverage, fast casual, HR, obviously meeting and events. And as the industry begins to change, now we have essentially 30 credits that we can say, okay, let's create a concentration. Esports is becoming a big thing. How do you manage an esports event? Or now in Las Vegas, you know, we have the Las Vegas Raiders. We're having Formula One. How do we put on big events, not just weddings, but events for 10,000 people? So we're really focusing on, we're doubling down on hospitality operations. We're not a business school that gives a little bit of hospitality. We're doubling down on operations because we believe at the end of the day, you have to know how to take care of the customer to be successful. We couldn't agree more with you on that. <laughs> so you taught at Lausanne Hotel School, Ecole Hotelière de Lausanne, here in Switzerland in their master's program. So how does the curriculum at Hera College of Hospitality compare, for instance, to the programs in the curriculum at EHL? So it's, it's, it's very different. And I also taught in the undergraduate program at EHL. <clears throat> and I love EHL. It's an amazing school. The, the current academic dean was one of my former students. Oh, okay. Um, but the way the way that the master's program works in the United States, and at least specifically at UNLV, it's a required number of courses or cl- credits, but students have a fair amount of flexibility in terms of types of classes they take. And it's not a cohort model. So, you know, I could take a course with student A 
in one class, but I don't see them again until graduation. Very much at a cohotelier is everybody's in a cohort. And this is also true with Institut Paul Bocuse, where students all start together, they all take the same courses together, and then they graduate together. So we're much more flexible in terms of our approach. Our students tend also to write a professional paper or a dissertation, where I remember at EHL, every day all this, this one big group project that they worked on. Um, so they're different. And, you know, I think they do some great things. I love the cohort model. I love the big project that everybody works on. But in the States, I love the flexibility as a master's student to really pick and choose the courses I want. Yeah, I mean, as I did both of my universities in, uh, in the United States, I agree with that. That flexibility is something fantastic for people that have families that are working, that sometimes have to pause. It's, it's a much easier model, um, that flexible model. Yeah, and I think, I think for the student, you know, if you're a student listening to this and you're trying to decide where do you want to do a, a graduate degree, you'll get a, gra- a great graduate degree at either institution. And what you want to think about is go to that school, walk around, close your eyes and go, do I feel comfortable here? Is this the place that I could see myself really being involved? And that's how you want to choose your degree, because a degree is what you make of it. Can we go back a little bit to what you said about many hospitality schools becoming business schools? Do you think that hospitality education today is too focused on, for instance, management and finance and not enough on the more practical hospitality skills? So at the risk of getting myself into trouble, I would say (laughs) yes. I think, look, at the end of the day, we are a business and we need to know how to lead people, manage people. We need to know how to understand P&Ls. We certainly need to know how to understand all the finance. Um, So those play an important role in any curriculum. Of course. Where I think we've changed what we need to change and and our college has certainly done that is kids have to really understand operations and i think that i think it comes down to this we're an undergraduate education institution and what that means is kids come to college not really knowing exactly what they want to do but they have a general idea so i think what happens is kids will watch the wedding planner they'll see some fun things with you know the menu, the movie, the menu, although not to that extreme. Um, And they'll go, wow, that looks like fun. I'd like to be a wedding planner. But they don't really understand what the hospitality industry is. It's not a job. It's really a lifestyle. And, And I think when you go to a business school and you take mostly business classes and then have some hospitality classes thrown in and maybe some internships, you don't really get a feeling for what the business is all about. And one of the, I think, the the trouble with industry has been, they say, yeah, we love hospitality kids, but they come and they work for a couple of years and then they leave, right? So we don't pay them a lot of money because we're not sure who's going to start. And what we really, when I was interviewing for this job 10 years ago, I was asked, what should we expect as an industry, you know, while you're the dean? And I said, you're going to pay more for our students because you're going to know that they're committed to hospitality. Because if they hadn't been committed, they would have transferred out earlier. Um, and you're going you're gonna to look at them as an investment. So my belief is that kids really need to find out that this is the business they love. We teach them the, 
the things they need to go for, to get ready for their first job. But then they're going to also give them the skill set to be able to move up. You know, I think business school, hospitality schools, many programs will say, well, you know, we train students for their third job, not their first. And I was always like, well, if you're not good at your first job, you'll never get that third job. And so I truly believe that hands-on, operational, really theor- what I call it theory-driven practice, right? We have a mixture of, of our really theoretical faculty who are doing the research, the publication, getting the kids thinking differently. And then we also have faculty who are really applied and can teach real world so kids know when they graduate what they're going to get into. And I think we've really balanced that pretty well at UNLV, which I think is why we were you know, named the number one hospitality school in the world by CEO um, Magazine, CEO World Magazine just recently. And we're always number two behind EHL in the QS rankings. Okay. So that's our, our approach. Fantastic. And again, it's the approach that I've chosen as dean and our college has chosen. Um, only time will tell if it's the right one. Right. So what changes have you seen over the past five to seven years in the hospitality field and in hospitality education in particular? I mean, you came from the industry. Uh, you're in edu- hospitality education now. What are some of the, the changes that you've seen? Well, it's really twofold. I think when, when we look at the, the industry itself, it's really changing in the sense that hotel companies today now are really branding companies and they're back of the house companies. You know, they supply the loyalty program, they supply the standards, the building designs, etc. And the operators are really the entrepreneurs who are looking for a business that can have a good return. And so they, they enter the hospitality business. You see a lot of the major hospitality firms also really being publicly traded companies. And even in Las Vegas, we see a lot of private equity entering the business. So I think the there's a real pressure in the hospitality industry for return on investment. We have, I think we have more and more people entering the hospitality business that aren't hospitality people, but they're entrepreneurials. And, and so I think we have to be very careful that we don't, we lose sight of what it means to be in hospitality. And I think, you know, part of that is the rationale why hospitality programs are being merged into business schools. One is, you know, hospitality education, because academia is all about publications and getting tenure and publishing in the right journals. Students, when they get their PhD, they send the focus on a discipline. So I'm a marketing person. I'm an HR person. I'm a finance. So then it becomes easy kind of to teach those courses, publish in those courses. And if we're not careful, then suddenly our curriculum looks like that of a business school as the costs of education keep going up and states are looking for ways to reduce the cost, it becomes really easy to say, well, you teach marketing, they teach marketing. Let's just put you together. We only need one dean. We can lower our administrative costs. And I think that's kind of the trend that's been happening. So hospitality education is kind of mirroring what's happened in the industry where you see a lot of consolidation really become a branding area. And our and our hospitality education has become that way because the goal is to get tenure and to publish and bring in grant monies to so that the university can raise their ranking. Mm-hmm. And our, our focus is really kind of the opposite, is that we want to have a mixture of both and really teach 
the entrepreneur who wants to go into the hospitality business and teach them all about operations. Hopefully that is being clear. Yeah. Do the students at um, the Hare College of Hospitality do an internship as part of their program, accredited? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we have, I mean, we have an, you know, we're, we're in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and we have an incredible internship program, an incredible mentorship program. So as an example, um, we each concentration has accumulating experience. And like, for instance, we sent out, I think, 25 students to work at Resorts World for a whole semester. And it was a rotational internship. We do the same at the Palms. So our students who get a lot of industry experience. And I think the other thing to understand is UNLV is most of our students are first generation. So in other words, their parents didn't go to college. So most of our kids, are they're working part-time while they're going to school. Some of them are even working full-time or going to school. So they are getting a lot of industry experience while they're working. And our goal at UNLV is to say, okay, you're out here working. Let's provide you with the theoretical frameworks to show why you do the things you do and how to think differently about how we should do things differently to be better. But our kids come out really with the skill set that needs to come in and make an impact on their first job. I mean, I think the, the joke we used to always say was, if you want someone to come in and sit in an office and run spreadsheets, hire someone from Cornell. If you want someone who can come in and make an immediate impact on your business, you know, hire someone from UNLV. Okay. And we, 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 the further joke would be, you know, the first day of the off, on the first day of work, a Cornell kid and the UNLV kid come to work and the Cornell kid says, where's my office? And the UNLV kid says, where's the dish room? Because he wants to get in there and start working right away, doing hands-on cool stuff. Not to say that they, they couldn't. And then the final joke, as we always say, is that, yeah, we love Cornell. We, we, a lot of UNLV students hire great Cornellians. <laughs> so it's always been a fun rivalry. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I use Cornell, but you could substitute Cornell with any other great hospitality program. Uh-huh. And so from what you're saying, it sounds like there is a very good relationship between the college and the, the hotels, the restaurants, the casinos in Las Vegas itself. You've created this link. An incredible link. But I, it's not just Las Vegas. It's, it's around the country and around the world. We had our career fair the other night. We had 88 different companies. Okay. You know, Hilton International, Marriott International, Marriott Domestic. And on all the restaurant companies. So it's really internationally, you know, obviously a core recruits from us for their Fairmont brand. And as, as expansions happening in Asia, you know, we're, we're ideal for that. So we have a, we've created a relationship with all the major companies. Four Seasons um, was quoted. I was, was with one of the Four Seasons executive the other day. And they mentioned to me that at one of their corporate meetings, and they were talking about hospitality schools. They said they get their best talent from UNLV. And so a lot of that is because our kids are really hardworking and they're really smart. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So what kind of changes and challenges do you think the hospitality field is going to face in the next uh, five, seven, ten years? So the biggest challenge, of course, is going to be labor. And you hear that all the time, labor, labor, labor. No one wants to work or everybody wants to sort of work from home and they want to be, you know, a coder. They want to go out and celebrate and eat and drink and have fun, but kids aren't necessarily wanting to work in that area. So I think 
everyone I talk to says is they're just really having a hard time finding talent. And I think, so that's going to be the big challenge. And I think obviously some of them are going to address some of that talent by technology, you know, but, and replacing sort of routine jobs, check in and check out, right? So taking that person who might've been a desk clerk, now they can do something else because they can spend more time dealing with the guest, letting the guest check in him or her, herself in. So I think labor is the big issue. And I think the other issue is, is that we need to get kids excited about hospitality much younger. And I think we are seeing in the United States this move towards apprenticeship programs, certainly in the high schools. So obviously in the United States, we have what's called ProStart, which are for kids who want to go into some aspect of the hospitality business. So I think what we really need to do is start really getting kids early on thinking about hospitality, education, and careers in hospitality. And not everybody needs a college degree to start in the business, but what we need to do in hospitality education is to provide the opportunity for those who are working in the industry to get an education. And I'll give you a quick example. We're working with a major company I can't name right now, where essentially they probably have 5,000 managers around the world. Many of them started in the industry but never earned a degree. This is a fast casual segment. And so we're putting our whole program is going to be online, uh, which pretty much every hospitality program has an online degree. But what we're looking at is we're working very closely with this company to say, okay, what are the things you're doing in your training programs? How can we account that for college credit? And then let's take a look at every job you're doing and how does that map against our curriculum? So you may have to pay for 120 credits, but maybe you only have to take 60 credits of coursework. And so we call that learning, you know, prior learning assessment. And we're really doubling down on that in our college, using this one company as a pilot, but then being able to take it to any other company to really help those who are working in this industry get their degree. Excellent. Yeah, what a great idea. We recently interviewed Andrea Obatelli, who is the general manager at the Four Seasons Hotel in Milano in Italy. Uh, She worked a few years in Florida and said that there is a much greater staff turnover in the United States compared to Europe and to Italy in particular. Do you think this has an effect, this kind of staff turnover, uh, on the quality of American hospitality? And could you maybe talk a little bit about how you see the difference between perhaps American hospitality, European hospitality, or any other country, hospitality, Asian or African or Middle East? Yes. So Americans, we're sort of a nation of choices, right? We like to have choices. We we, we tend to be self-interested on things, right? We're, we're in, in the, as my wife, who did her PhD, would say, you know, Americans are an individualist society. Other societies are much more, and the word suddenly escapes me, but collective. Collective. Collectivist yeah. organizations. Yeah. So what that means in hospitality is, you know, people will change jobs just to get make more money. You know, we're very kind of money oriented. So someone will offer me, you know, 5,000 more and I'll just kind of switch. And I think what's happened in, in hospitality with COVID the industry really did not do itself any favors. When, when, the, when COVID hit, they let go many, many employees, right? 
And so we talk a lot about, oh, employees are our most valuable asset. You know, we love our employees or like family members. But the reality is once things go bad, the, the employees are the first to go. And so as an employee, we begin to think, well, you know, the company's not really that loyal to me. So why should I be loyal to them? Right. And when you have companies that are really focusing on the, you know, the return on investment and all that, it becomes really easy just to kind of not build the, the cohesiveness you need. And I think in European properties, because they are more of a collective society, there's more willingness to kind of stay and work. I think probably during COVID, I don't have any data to show this, but my guess is that some of the European companies probably were more likely to keep their employees working than, than just let them, let them go. So I think that's a, that's a big challenge. And I see what, I sort of see what's going to happen is what I call the, the Uberization of the hospitality industry. Like I'm a worker and I'm a housekeeper and I decide, you know, I don't, I want to decide what days I want to work and when I want to work. So there's obviously applications being created on cell phones where I can say, I feel like working today. Who's hiring? What's the rate? And I'll go in and I'll be a housekeeper for a day for that organization. The same certainly with banquets, you know, in, in Vegas where we put on a banquet for 20,000 people. And it really makes a lot of sense because we're able to balance supply and demand. And then we're not taking on, as a hospitality organization, we're not taking over all that overhead by having an employee full time. But as you go down that path, then you really have a core group of people that run the hotel and everything else is kind of brought in as a needed basis. So that means we in hospitality education have to really focus on how do we put together operational standards? How do we kind of figure out what are the operations that are going to define our business? How do we quickly train someone to deliver the kind of service we want in our, in our business when we are bringing people in and letting them go? And it gives the employee, like I think it's Starbucks who said, give me your best four hours, right? <laughs> And you just choose when you want to work. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that, I mean, as an American living in Europe since 1985, one thing I, uh, I noticed immediately is that there were very, very few part-time positions. I mean, there are definitely more now in 2023, but part-time work here in Europe, you know, most people have a contract, it's full-time, eventually maybe 80%, but this whole part-time and things are not open. Okay. In the hospitality. Yes. But a lot of businesses or retail is not open uh, after six or seven o'clock in the evening. So you don't have these part-time positions that in the United States, for instance, a lot of young people and students, including myself work in. So yeah, there's a big difference there. I agree. We recently interviewed someone that, you know, uh, Mary Mayenfesh Tobin, who is a human rights and gender equality expert. Yes. Are these issues and topics that you cover at the Hera College of Hospitality in the hospitality field? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do we cover them as, as much as we should? Um, probably not, you know, but we in every course, especially in, in our law courses, in our culture classes, we talk very much about, at, about those areas. Um, we are bringing in someone, we met a person at a conference who really focuses a lot on human trafficking and how to be aware of that. And so we're putting on bringing her in the fall to come in and talk about that to our students. So we're very much 
covering all those topics as much as we can in any of our classes. We actually did a great course on sort of on gender and women in hospitality where we worked with FIU, um, San Diego State, UNLV, and the students from different schools would all log in on the same time. And we spent an hour and a half each week really talking and interviewing a, a, a famous woman in the hospitality industry, mostly in the, in the kitchen side. Mm-hmm. And so those things are critically important. At UNLV, we're also, we've created an organization that's really focusing on, obviously, diversity, equity, and inclusion, where we brought in the Las Vegas Raiders, MGM, Caesars Entertainment, Diversified Restaurant Group, a big law firm. And we came in with McKinsey, and we're all working together to share great ideas. Uh, what are we doing in our companies to help increase our diversity? What are we? What aren't we doing? What can I learn from each other? And it's a really cohesive group. So we've been kind of taking the lead on that within Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And so, what about sustainability? You know, that's the hot topic. How important is that in the education? It's, it's critical, especially in the meetings and events business, the business, meetings and events side. Because right now you can't hold the meeting. You know, any RFP says, what's your diversity plan? Or not your diversity plan. You're obviously, your diversity plan, but what's your sustainability plan? So, yes, we definitely cover that in areas that are looking at. And where's, what kind of technology is out there to help sustainability? One of our graduates works for a company that basically takes sheets that are essentially made out of plastic pellets and then the pellets are melted down and then they're rewoven into fabric um, so we save they save tons of money because when you think about cotton sheets cotton's not biodegradable so it gets put in the landfill it takes a tremendous amount of water so what they're doing is they're really trying to say how do we make sure we're sustainable in terms of our water and our linens i'm working with some folks locally we're going to be hosting the Super Bowl next year here in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking to some of my friends at Caesars, the Raiders. Guy Fietti's one of our favorite graduates, famous graduates. So how do we really um, do what we call food recapture? You know, I was in Dallas last week meeting with some food service equipment manufacturers to say, okay, how can we get access to some quick chillers, vacuum pack, so that when we're putting on these big events – we can take them right from the hot box to the quick chiller to the vacuum pack and then distribute them as needed to the charities that are looking for food. Um, so we're very focused on that within the, the university. And we have to be. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that we were wondering is, especially that what you were talking about, this program for students who are already in the industry, or, or young people that are in the industry or have been in the industry for a while, and then you're helping them to get a degree. You know, of course, that's like the best idea ever. But how much, is this a private university or it's a public university? No, so UNLV is a public university. Okay. And we have to abide by, you know, this, this policies of the system, Nevada system of higher education, and we're, we abide by the, our accrediting body. So really, prior learning assessment has been around for a long time. Yeah, especially in the States. Yeah, there's an organization called the Council on Adult Education Learning mm-hmm. that has, has really helped spearhead this. And the real issue comes down to is 
the university wants to protect their degree, right? So they don't want to just grant a degree for work experience. And so the question becomes is, if I'm out there working, what am I learning on my job? And how does that translate into a, the learning objectives of a course? So what we've done with this company we're working with, which is a privately held company, is we're basically saying, okay, what's, what are you covering in your training like, so they might do a training on X subject. We'll go, we're going through that, looking at everything that happens to training-wise, comparing that to one of our courses that's a similar subject matter. And we're saying, okay, you've covered two-thirds of what would be covered in a class. Then we're going back and adding material to their training so that when the person takes that training program with that company, they automatically get the three credits for our class. Or they'll... They've, maybe they're doing something else and they say, okay, well, you've been, your job is enough, so we'll give you the opportunity to test out. You'll take a test to show you you have the knowledge. I wanted to ask you a question is what we were wondering, because you were saying, you know, oh, you, you could get a degree at EHL or at, uh, at, at your college, but <laughs> the price I'm sure is a bit different. As it's a public college or university, what is an what was the be the average price for uh, tuition for a four year degree? Yeah, so at at UNLV, if you're out of state, a four year degree would probably cost you eighty thousand dollars. A four year degree, roughly twenty thousand tuition. If you're in state, it's probably half that. So we're an incredible price value. <laughs> I mean, a really good price value. Yeah, because we, when we were working at Lyon, it was for four years, 120,000 Swiss yeah. francs, 40,000 a semester, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a big difference. <laughs> you know, I always tell the difference between an elite school and a state school is the, in an elite school, there's very little heterogeneity among the student population. Everybody's really, really bright. In a state school, we have a wide variety. You know, we have great students and then we have super students. And I always tell parents, and I said, if you have the money and your kid is lazy, <laughs> send them to an elite school because they're going to have to work. Otherwise, they're going to flunk out because they're going to be surrounded by really bright kids. If your child is is bright and you're, you, you don't want to go into major debt, <laughs> Come to a state school, get involved in the honors program where your classes are smaller, get involved with faculty because we're always looking for students to get involved in projects and you'll have an incredible one-on-one -on -one education and then go out, work for a while, get some experience, find out what you want and then spend your money at the elite institution to get the master's and really look at it in terms of your, what your overall price value is. Because um, really, you know, college, it, you're doing a lot of growing up, right? I remember, you know, I hate to admit it, but I would skip a class now and then, right? And you think about if you're spending 80000 a year for tuition and you're skipping a class, that's <laughs> that's like burning a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. Kids at, at state schools, the elite kids are just as elite as kids at the private schools. They just don't have the opportunity and the funds. Yeah, do you think the hospitality industry is getting better at respecting gender equality, equal pay for women, sustainability? And what do you think the hospitality industry could do to improve this and to go a little bit faster? So I think the hospitality industry is working very diligently 
on the issues just you just brought forth. And the, the reasoning is, one, it's obviously the right thing to do. But more importantly, as there's just not a lot of talent around right now entering the hospitality business. So we have to be very progressive in terms of looking for the right talent who has options to do other jobs. And so how do we become more, more of a place to work that people want to come to for everybody, you know, not just female, male, but LBG community and things like that. Of it course. becomes critical. Yeah. And, and so we are moving in that direction. And I think that we become more aware of the issues, right? And I think if you don't know what you don't know. So I, I have white privilege. I have many African-American friends, but I, I don't know their story, their background, because I've always had white privilege. And so what's, with all the things that are happening in the news and the terrible things that happen to African-American men, there's become a, an awareness of our implicit biases that we don't know, right? Because we didn't grow up with those biases. And, and now organizations are spending a lot of time really beginning to look at those issues. And I think what I mentioned earlier with UNLV, where basically McKinsey came in for free and did a two-day workshop. And we had all these organizations in saying, hey, we need to know how to be better. So let's, we obviously compete for customers. We compete in a sense for talent, but let's work together to find out how we can be better at working towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. And let's, let's not compete on that, but let's see what we can do to help each other, what works for us, what didn't work, so we can create a more inclusive environment. And I think awareness is the first thing that we now we're aware. Now we're becoming, okay, how do we make sure our policies and procedures are, are even our, the way we advertise jobs? Is there some implicit bias? And I think what happens is managers tend to hire people who are like them, right? And if your managers are all white male, you tend to hire white males or white females. But as those managers begin to change, and that's why we're specifically excited about our prior learning assessment, right? Many hospitality organizations have diverse workforces, but where they lack the diversity is in the management roles. So what can we do as a hospitality program and education to provide, you know, people of color or just people, yeah, people of color who are working, didn't have the opportunity to go to college. How do we make sure that we now can give them that opportunity because the reality is they're not going to quit their job. So our goal at UNLV is let's bring the education to the customer. Yeah, great. That's, that's such a great idea. How do you see uh, the future of hospitality? What, um, what changes, what other kinds of changes do you think we're going to see? I mean, we've talked about this problem. It seems to be a theme that we hear over and over again of um, the hospitality industry having are having a very hard time finding talented people. And of course, as you mentioned before, what happened after COVID, a lot of people left the industry, a lot of people found other jobs. So there's this whole idea, it's not so easy to retain talent. What kind of changes do you think you're going to see in, in, in this uh, regard? Well, so what I see happening, and it's, I'm just an N of one, I haven't done any research on this, but what I think is going to happen is we're going to Travel and hospitality is always going to exist. People need to be with people, right? But what I think what's going to, we're going to see the change is, is we're going to see more and more 
sort of a bifurcation, right? You're going to have the economy segments going to be grooming where people just need a place to stay. They don't need a lot of amenities. They don't want to spend the high cost. And then you're going to see people really saying, okay, I'm going to go on a vacation. I want the experience. And so I'm going to be willing to spend more money for all that experience. And I'm willing to give up some certain things, like maybe they're not going to clean my sheets every day, but I'm going to be able to experience other things happening. So I think every organization is going, how do we create that overall experience? And what I think Airbnb did was they changed the whole mind frame of you're not just sleeping, but you're experiencing it like a local. And hotel companies are now saying, well, wait a minute, we should be able to do the same kinds of things. And so you'll see much more high-end resorts coming in, much more amenities where people are really, people that have money will want to pay for that experience. And so whatever we can do to create great experiences, whatever the price point is, is going to be critical. Yeah. Yeah. Or even I think what we're seeing too is, um, you know, for instance, my husband and I, you know, we're often looking for smaller family run hotels where there's really that personal touch you know especially here in Europe wow there's some really great places that have that are owned by you know not a lot of rooms small not too expensive but yeah very charming mm-hmm. and there's a there's a demand for that but there's also going to be a demand for that convention hotel where organizations need Absolutely. to get together where we're meeting all the time by zoom we need a place where we can bring everybody together and so I see a huge rise in the meetings, incentives, convention, and exposition business. I mean, I, I think that's just going to continue to grow. So still, I have one last question for yes. you. What advice would you give to a young person who is interested in starting a career in hospitality? So my advice would be to, first of all, start working in the kitchen or start working anywhere in the operation whether it's in the kitchen, whether it's in housekeeping, whether it's at the front desk. I would urge the student, the person to try lots of different areas within the hospitality organization and see what they love and what they love and what they could see themselves where they pinch themselves and go, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. And I think, you know, one of the things I always say is that the hospitality industry, people will say, well, it's not rocket science. And I'll say, well, wait a minute. Let's think, what does it take to launch a rocket? One, you only get one shot to make it right. (laughs) It takes a lot of pre-planning. You have a lot of people with different skill sets putting it together. And I go, wait a minute. How does that differ from a wedding? We get one shot to make it right. (laughs) We have lots of skill sets. Everything is just-in-time delivery. So the hospitality industry, if you love finance, there's a role for you in hospitality. If you love obviously, you know, chemistry, right? There's the whole side of the cooking side. So find out what you love. And I'm pretty sure that there'll be a job in hospitality for you in that area. And so the advice is get involved in all aspects of hospitality. Don't get focused just on, I want to be a front desk agent, but think about it in terms of the entertainment side, right? What could I, maybe I'm studying theater and I can't get a job as a paid actor. Well, everybody's doing brand activation in hospitality. So become a brand activator in the hospitality industry would be my advice. Well, that's excellent advice. And we just want to thank you so much, Doe, for joining us today and sharing your experiences, your insights into the hospitality industry and specifically hospitality education in the United States. And I'm sure we're going to invite you back for another few podcasts to share your 
your hospitality wisdom with our listeners. Well, it's been a very pleasure and an honor to be invited on the podcast. And thank you for listening. Today's episode is being sponsored by Swiss Hospitality Guild. SHG is a training center created to meet the strong demand for specialized hospitality staff. This training concept was born from the experience and expertise of its founder, Egidio Marcato. Egidio has become a reference in the world of hospitality coaching and has had success stories in skills championships, including Swiss skills, Euro skills, and world skills, as well as the AICR World's Best Receptionist Competition. Contact SHG at www.swisshospitalityguild.com.